Hello, and thanks so much for tuning into the Digging Deeper podcast with Pastor Ken Vance. This podcast is designed to go a step beyond the Sunday teaching with a more in-depth look at the topic Pastor Ken shared with us this past weekend. So whether you're on your way home from work or pouring yourself a fresh cup of coffee, we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode. And now, here's Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken Vance. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for taking the time to tune in. I'm Pastor Ken, the senior pastor at Vertical Church, and this is our weekly podcast, Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken. This podcast is designed for those who want to continue the discussion beyond Sunday Sunday morning, to dig deeper and to go further in God's Word. It's designed for those who really want to be rooted and established in their faith as they grow in their relationship with Christ. So I'm excited to have these discussions and to, to go deeper. And so this month, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. We've been talking about being kingdom builders because God's plan has always been the same. God has designed it that mankind would work together with him to build his kingdom on earth. When man was created, he was created in the image and likeness of God. So the man and the woman were given the blessing of God, and they were to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and have dominion over it. And God designed it that man would work in union with him to see his will accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why when Jesus came, he announced the good news of the kingdom, because sin had disrupted and had, had uh, um, distorted God's original plan. Jesus came to restore that end. He came to give new birth to humanity and to allow the plan of God to be reconsummated through human lives. And so Jesus began to describe how the kingdom operates in what's called the uh, uh, parables. Parables were stories that Jesus told to help his hearers understand how the kingdom operated And so we've been looking at that this month and been talking about these, the parables of the kingdom, because we've realized some things that were important. We realized that from a divine perspective, God owns everything. One of the distorted uh, 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 conceptions that humans can have is that we're owners, not stewards. But the truth is none of us brought anything into the world and none of us will take anything out. We are truly stewards over the things that are God's. God has entrusted them to us. God holds us accountable for how we use the things that he entrusts to our care. He tells us that when we're faithful with the things that we've been entrusted with, he will reward us. And we've also learned the responsibility that how we deal with what we have here will determine how things will be in heaven. Heaven is a real place. And Jesus taught us that we can send things on ahead. When we die, we leave all of the things of earth behind. But the Bible teaches us that we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. But that's to have an eternal perspective. That's to have a biblical mindset. Because most of our culture, people are concerned about laying up treasures here on earth. 
And so that's why it's important as we go into this and talk about it, that we begin to see things from God's point of view, because God is the king. And he desires for us to learn how his kingdom operates so that we can cooperate with him, that we can see the kingdom, uh, uh, how God designed us to be blessed and to live a blessed life, one of reward, one that's fulfilling, and one that lasts for eternity. And so today, we're going to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 12. The parable that we're going to look at today is often called the parable of the rich fool. But before we get into that, I want to mention this because it's so important. When we come into the New Testament, we, we must recognize that generosity is a matter of the human heart. The New Testament places great emphasis on this point. In fact, it teaches us that giving should be a matter of the heart. For when Paul was teaching in 2 Corinthians 9, he said, the whole world, he reminds us of this fact, that the world that God created operates off the law of seed time and harvest. And we know and understand that in agricultural terms, that when you plant one seed and it germinates and multiplies, we always reap later and greater, that the intent of what we sow, we reap at a greater extent than what we ever invested to begin with, because that's how God's kingdom operates. God off, operates off the principle of abundance. And that's why from God's point of view, he made a world that is sufficient. Now, we've talked about that in a few weeks ago. We battle as humans with the scarcity mindset. Many of the problems that occur on our in our world is because people think there's not enough. And so we hold on to what we have. In fear, we store up and store up and store up because we're afraid of what the future might bring. But God, when he created the world that we live in, Jesus, when he arrived on the scene, began to help us to see things from God's point of view. Jesus taught us to, to look at the birds of the air because he said, they do not sow nor gather into barns, but your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much better than that? And then he taught us to look at the flowers of the field. He said, they're beautiful in the way they're created. Even Solomon in all of his glory was never arrayed as beautifully as one of these wildflowers. And then Jesus went on to say, which are here today and gone tomorrow, are you not much more important than they? And that's why it's important And when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God knows the things that we need of. God knows what we need uh, to eat. God knows what we need to dress. God knows where we need to live. All the different things that humanity spends its time Going after, Jesus taught us another principle, that we can trust God, that God's faithful, that God is good, and that God desires to bless his children. And it's important that we understand that. And that's why the New Testament, again, generosity is a matter of the heart. And it's why we, as New Testament believers, must recognize the dangers that money can bring. Money in itself is neutral. But with money, there are certain things that can become uh, uh, problematic because it is not money in itself, but how we handle it and the influence that money can bring. Because what can happen is money can deceive the human heart. 
When Jesus taught the parable of the sower, he warned against these things that, that stop God's word from producing. He said, the sower sows the word, and these are they which are sown by the wayside. In other words, the worn path, the hardened place, stops the word from actually entering. And then he talked about the seeds that are sown among the, 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 the stony or uh, soil, because the, the seed can be inhibited from growing up. That when the sun arises and it's shallow soil, that the seed will wither and dry. And Jesus associated that stony soil was likened unto persecutions and afflictions that arise for the word's sake. That without a root system, young and immature believers can walk away. But then Jesus talked about thorny soil, thorny soil or, or weeds. He said the, the seed that is sown among the thorns... It said, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things growing up chokes the word. And so in Jesus' interpretation of it, he gives us a warning that money can be deceitful. He said, the deceitfulness of riches. Because when that becomes the pursuit of the human heart, it fills us and chokes God's word out. It stops God's word from producing. In other words, one of the things that money can do, one of the dangers of money is that money can leave us with the impression of being self-sufficient. And that's dangerous because what we understand in a relationship with God is that we need God. We always have, we always will. Jesus said it in this fashion. He said, I am the true vine and you are the branch. If you abide in me, and I abide in you, you will bring forth much fruit. And then Jesus said these words. He said, apart from me, truly you can do nothing. And it's important to understand, as the psalmist of old said, unless the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. In other words, he didn't say that something didn't get built, but your uh, labor that's vain is labor that is futile. It doesn't really serve any true, meaningful purpose. And there's a lot of things that we spend our time doing. And there are a lot of things that we can do on earth that from a heavenly point of view, from God's perspective, truly just are a waste of time. They're just vain. And God wants to build his kingdom through us because when, we build the, when we're kingdom builders, when we build the kingdom, we allow God to work in us. We allow God to work through us. We allowed God to work with us. The things that we build last for eternity. And it's so important to get that point of view because truly we are stewards and not owners. And we will owe an accountability to God with what we do with what we've been entrusted with. And that's why it's important to understand that money can be deceitful. Money can leave us with the impression that we're all right. In fact, what's so critical to see and know and understand, the Bible gives us this clear picture that riches can be so deceptive that people who possess them can think they don't need God. I mean, just stop for a minute and think with me. One of the hardest demographics to reach in our nation are wealthy people. Wealthy people almost put insulation between them and God. Because they think they have wealth, they think that they can handle all of the problems that come their way. Now, that's not true, 
because many wealthy people have been addicted to drugs. Many wealthy people have had trouble relationally. Many wealthy people are lonely. Many wealthy people have money but lack the other true riches of life. But money, again, can give the appearance of self-sufficiency. And Jesus also taught us this. Jesus said that the number one competition in the human heart against God is money. When he taught in, the, in what we refer to often as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 said this. He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's such a brilliant statement. Jesus said, if you really want to know where your heart, what's number one in your heart, if you really want to know where your passions lie, just look at your checkbook registry. Look at, look at your credit card receipts. Where has your money gone? Because where your money goes, there are your loyalties. There are your devotions. There are your passions. And so in essence, Jesus went on to say, no one can serve two masters. He'll either love the one and hate the other, or he will despise the one and, and serve the other. So you cannot, Jesus said, serve God and money. Now, the first time I read that, I thought that was a bit strange. I would have put it, you can't serve God and the devil. You would think of that, but here Jesus juxtapositioned God and money because the number one competition for the human heart is money. And so in essence, it's important that we master this. It's important that we understand this. It's important that we learn to handle money well. Because just because people might have money doesn't mean that they deal well with it. And that's one of the deceitful parts about money. When people don't manage money well, they think the answer is having more money. <laughs> and that's not necessarily the answer at all. Sometimes having more money can only multiply the problems. Because when you don't handle something well, giving somebody more of it to handle is never the answer. And so let's jump into this story today because Jesus deals with an issue that every one of us needs to guard our heart against. It can be a very, very deceitful work, and it can arise in the human heart that we're not aware of and don't even know necessarily that it exists in our life. Let's jump into it in, math, in Luke, excuse me, Luke 12 and verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, so here we see Jesus is teaching and there's a crowd around him and someone in the crowd says to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So notice what's going on here. I'm, someone in the crowd wants Jesus to mediate a dispute. There's a problem here that obviously a relative died and there's uh, an inheritance to be divided between brothers. So obviously either parents had, had passed or maybe just the father had passed and two brothers were to split the inheritance. And the reason why somebody was speaking up here is because he felt what was going on wasn't fair. He was wanting Jesus to wade into this dispute. He was wanting Jesus to be a voice of authority in the middle of it. And really that wasn't uh, fair to Jesus because Jesus doesn't know all the details. He doesn't know all that occurred and happened. But many times when people feel mistreated, when people feel that they're being dealt unjustly, they appeal to someone they feel will take their side and, and come to their aid. 
But notice what Jesus replied to this. He says, Jesus replied, the man who, he said, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? And then he said to them, watch out. So here Jesus is about to, to, to uh, uh, give a warning. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. That is so brilliant. If you were to look at the American lifestyle, we defy that statement of Jesus because truly in the American lifestyle, we do believe that life consists in the abundance of our possessions. Because today, status is determined upon wealth. And wealth is about what you possess. I mean, in our culture, we run after this because it's about what somebody wears, what somebody drives, what somebody lives in. What does their bank account look like? And so in essence, Jesus said, be on your guard. Why? Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life, from God's point of view, is not about what you have. Life's about what you do with what you have. And so Jesus here gives this warning. And notice he says greed. And greed is an interesting uh, uh, matter. Because greed isn't something you can see in the mirror. In fact, what's so interesting is this. I've never met anybody that's ever said, hey, yeah, I'm greedy. We all think of someone else. We all think of an extreme. When people think of a term greed, they think of somebody like Bernie Madoff and his Ponzi scheme. Or they think of the classic Christmas story of Ebenezer Scrooge. And we always think in extremes. But Jesus gives us an interesting definition. In fact, this is so brilliant. Jesus taught something in this parable that he's about to, to um, illustrate. He gave a definition for greed that I had never, uh, nobody had ever uttered this ever before. Because according to Jesus, he's about to describe what greed is truly looks like. Let's jump into the far, the, as the story goes. He said, he, then he told them this parable. So again, remember the reason for this parable was to help his audience be on their guard against greed. Why? Because life was not about the abundance of our possessions. And so he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So in other words, here Jesus sets up the story and says a rich man had planted and he yielded an abundant harvest. Now that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We've talked about this, that God desires that all of us would prosper. God desires all of us that we would gain and get ahead. God wants us to prosper. Why? Prosperity isn't wrong. It's not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. Because God wants all of us to have our needs met so that once our needs are met, we can help meet the needs of others. When, we're, when we have more than we need, we can help others who are in need. Prosperity is a good thing, but prosperity has a purpose. In fact, what's so critical for us to understand is what the more is for. Because God wants all of us to have more. But we need to know what the more is for. And so Jesus is going to describe something. He said, the, the ground of this rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And notice this, verse 17. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. 
So in essence, this man's abundant harvest brought a problem to him. He had more than he needed. He had uh, uh, something he had to do. He, he had a problem. What do I do with the abundance that I now have? I have more than I need, so what will I do with my extra? And so he needed to develop a plan. And so look at verse 18. It says, then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. In other words, here was the man's plan. I will tear down perfectly good barns and build new and bigger ones. I mean, he sounds like a really good American. I mean, what do we do when we all of a sudden have more than we need? What do we do when all of a sudden we're blessed with extra? We get a raise at work. We get a bonus. We get a blessing we weren't, we weren't thinking about. Something comes to us. We get an inheritance or whatever the case may be. There are so many ways that the blessing can come to our life. And remember, the blessing is not bad. The blessing is good. But the issue is what do we do with what, with what we have gained when we have more than we need. What's the more for? And so this man, his plan was, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. In other words, this seemed industrious. This seemed natural. I mean, what do we do when we have the more? Do we buy a bigger house? Do we buy a better car? Do we invest more money? Do we take vacations? What do we do when we have more than we need? And look at verse 19. He said, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So in other words, his plan was, hey, listen, I'm going to hold on to all of this and make my life easy. Sounded like a great plan. Sounded like one of the, one of the people on Wall Street today that says, hey, I've got lots of investments. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live life easy. I'm going to travel the world. And if you think about people in America, this looks like a very industrious American plan. Hey, I'm going to have plenty so I can do whatever I want, when I want, go where I want. I can retire early. All these different ideas that we have. Because here's what Jesus, the point that he's, that he's uh, um, making. That this man believed that the more was for him and him alone. This man believed that this blessing was for his total and complete consumption. But now, look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In other words, this man died unexpectedly. He died before his plan could even be consummated and fulfilled. And the thing that we all need to realize, again, we didn't bring anything into the world. And when we leave this world, everything that we have in this world, we leave behind us. When Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, the idea is that it's not, it's not wrong to have a savings account. It's not wrong to have investments. It's not wrong to have a retirement plan. Those things are all good, but do we do anything for eternity? 
Because in this story, what's clear is this. God had blessed this man. His ground uh, yielded an abundant harvest. Well, who owns the ground? Ultimately, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Ultimately, it's God's. And God had no problem prospering the man. But what did the man do with the prosperity that he gained? He felt it was all for him. And God said, that's foolish. Why? Because all of us will leave this earth. And if in truth we are stewards, what accountability do we give to God if all we ever did with what we were blessed was for ourselves and ourselves alone? In verse 21, he said, this is how it will be with everyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the assumption that this man made. He assumed that everything that he had was for his consumption. He dealt with the problem that we deal with here in America, which is the, cons- the consumption assumption. We believe that everything, or we assume that everything we have is for our consumption. We assume that we are here to consume all that we have been given. And yet that's a very shallow, that's a very small world. See, God wants us to be blessed because God blesses us to be a blessing. God wants us to be able to help meet the needs of others when our own needs are met because that's what it means to be rich toward God. It's important to see this because Riches, again, can be deceitful. And what Jesus is teaching us in this parable is that generosity is the only antidote that guards the heart against greed. Because greed, this is Jesus' definition of greed. Greed is the assumption that what we have is for our consumption. That what we've been entrusted with is all for us. That's what Jesus defines greed as. And so it's important to see and understand because we need to know what the more is for. I want to build on this thought because Paul, in writing to the Ephesian church, and the church that he was speaking to, he was writing to the pastor. Timothy, he had left over the church at Ephesus. And so in his pastoral epistle to Timothy, Ephesus was a very wealthy community. It was a port city. It was a major part of the, uh, of the Roman Empire. Um, it's in present-day Turkey. But this area of Asia Minor, the city of Ephesus, was a very wealthy and lucrative state. Much trade happened there. And so as believers um, began to follow Christ, as, as the gospel began to take root, Paul had spent three years in the city of Ephesus. It was one of the most prosperous, strongest, and mature churches that Paul had planted. And so he put his chief disciple, Timothy, over that church. And Timothy was responsible to pastor these people. And so in the first uh, letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he addresses issues that he's wants to uh, see the Christian community, what, what he wants Timothy to instruct them in, Timothy to help them to gain biblical knowledge about. And so in 1 Timothy 6, there's some thoughts here I want to address with us. He writes this. These are the things I'm, I'm going to start in, in um, verse number 3. 
He said, these are the things that you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words and the, that result in strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think, now here's the point he's addressing, who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. See, some people come to God and they look at God as a, as a means to financial gain, that, hey, I do this and I do that, so God is obligated to do something for man. People have misunderstood the principles of sowing and reaping. People have misunderstood the responsibilities of generosity, and that's why I emphasize this reality. The New Testament teaches that giving and generosity are a matter of the heart. It's a heart that wants to see God's will accomplished on earth. It's a heart that wants to see God's plan, that we be enriched in every good thing. So why? So that we can be generous on every occasion. And through our generosity, we can create thanksgiving for God. Because when we spread the goodness of God, God is love. And when we act in love, by giving to people in need, by helping people in their distresses. When we express love, not just in word, but in deed and in truth, it spreads the kingdom and it allows God's workings to be seen and known. But people can twist and pervert the things of God. And I've been around long enough in Christianity where I've seen a lot of it, where people who have gained, that think that godliness is a means of financial gain. But here he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment. The true matter of the heart that we have to battle against, we have to learn to be content. Why? Because discontent is fueled by awareness. And that is how our culture operates. You see, we were fine with what we had until we saw what somebody else had. It's why television commercials and ads and all of the things that bombard us. I mean, we're coming into the holiday season. And so much of the advertising is to make you discontent with what you have. So you'll buy something new. You know, people have per perfectly good phones, but they're constantly upgrading them to get a new one. People have perfectly good, uh, uh, um, you name it. They have perfectly good clothes, but they got to have the latest and the greatest. That's the culture we live in. And it's, and it's fueled by discontent. It's like the story that we just read. Jesus said, this man gained an abundant harvest. And so he had to come up with a plan. What am I going to do? I'll tear down my barns. In other words, he got rid of perfectly good barns and built bigger ones. And that's so much of the cry of America is let we need more. We want bigger and better and always brand spanking shiny new things. But he said, godliness with contentment is great gain. You see, discontent fuels so many of our financial purchases, our financial decisions. Think about it for a moment. We were good with what we had. You know, ladies, we're great with our kitchen until we, in, until we go visit someone who just remodeled their kitchen. And then, oh my God, I got to have this. I got to have that. I got to, you know, I got to have a, 
uh, this appliances. I got to have these countertops. I got to have all of this. Or guys, you were great with your car until somebody showed up, one of your friends with a brand new car and like, it's got the newest gadgetry. It's got the newest electronics in it. And like, wow, I got to have one of those. Think It's that way in all aspects of life. Thinking of all the marketing that's done to our kids in the holiday seasons to make them discontent with what they have to gain something new. And Paul here teaches that godliness with contentment is great gain. See, discontent attempts to exploit something inside of us, which is what? Our appetites. Appetite, appetites are not wrong. Appetites are actually good. Appetites bring passion to life. God created appetites. But the problem is, is that sin distorted appetites. And our appetites, the thing we need to recognize is that appetites are never fully satisfied. I mean, we're almost at Thanksgiving and during the Thanksgiving holiday, how many of us have overeaten during Thanksgiving only to go a few hours later looking for snacks? No matter how much we ever feed our appetite, the one thing we must learn about appetites is this, that the more you feed them, the bigger they grow. The more you give in to them, the more they control you. And you and I must recognize that how we handle and how we manage our appetites really determines the direction and the quality of our lives. Because appetites will always drive us to want more. Appetites, when fed, always grow. And that's why it's important here to recognize that Paul says that the biblical solution to this is contentment. Learning to be content. Think about this for a moment. What time in our lives were we ever most content? Isn't it really when we had less? I mean, new, a new couple gets married and they don't really have all that much, but usually they're very content. But the more stuff we have, the less content we become. Because again, the more you have, the more sometimes the appetite for more grows. And so we have this, but we got to have the newest, the latest, the greatest. And so the answer biblically to control our appetites, to uh, face discontentment head on, is with the Bible's understanding of contentment, to be content with what we have. Why? Because he goes on to say, for we brought nothing into the world and we'll take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those, because notice what he goes on to say. This is so important. Americans need to hear this especially. Those who want to get rich. Notice it's not wrong to be rich, but he says those who want to get rich. In other words, those who are driven, those who are uh, 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 motivated with the purpose of becoming rich, here's the dangers. Fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and hurtful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. See, many people have entered into the market and the, the financial markets, we must recognize in our world system, our financial markets are run by two, they're controlled by two opposite uh, uh, entities that are both wrong in themselves. The markets that we do, the Dow Jones Industrial or any of the other financial markets are driven by two things, greed and fear. 
Now, they're not wrong in themselves, but you have to understand what fuel them, what, what motivate them in the world system. They're driven by greed and they're driven by fear. And that's why 98% of the people who invest in the market lose money because they get in it for the wrong reasons. You see, people many times want to invest because they want to get rich quick. They want a big return. They want to put some money in and they want a lot of money back and they want it back quickly. And they don't understand the concepts of how to really manage money well. And so greed can drive people and greed drives many of the decisions and the ways that the market operates. But then the second side of it, that's, that's what they call a bullish market that's driven by greed. And then you have the opposite extreme that drives the markets, which is fear. Because something can happen. Think about what happens to the Dow, Dow Jones Industrial. There's trade rumors that spread across about China and American relations. And all of a sudden, boom, stocks drop. The market gets hit. People go. And so we must recognize that the reason, again, people lose money, they might have money in the stock market, things begin to dip, and they grab all their money and get out quickly. Because what? They give way to fear. And either fear or greed will attempt to rob you of what you have because neither one of them are of God. And so he says here that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And look at verse 10. This has been so misunderstood and so misquoted over the years by people that I've heard attempt to quote this verse. But 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, people will say that money is the root of all evil, but no, 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 no. What Paul writes here is, is that it's the love of money. And you know what? You don't have to have a penny to have the love for money. There are a lot of poor people who have the love of money. But he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced them through themselves through with many griefs. That's why we have to manage money well. We have to be aware of the warnings and understand the deceitfulness that money can bring with it. And he went on in verse 17, Paul jumped down in this when he was commanding Timothy, he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Notice this, he says, command those who are rich in this present world and you know, rich is an interesting term. Just like greed, I haven't many. I haven't met many people who admit to being greedy. Uh, people will say, "Well, you know, I'm frugal, I'm careful, I'm cautious." But I've never met anybody that that ever said, "Hey, I'm greedy." And the same way is that you know, the term generous can be very subjective. Most people feel they're generous, but you see, God gives us the understanding that. Generosity should be objective, not subjective. It should be based on where is our treasure? Because wherever our treasure is, there will our heart be also. When we're generous, we're willing to give. We're willing to meet, help meet the needs of others. And he says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth. And that's the problem. Money, riches, can, can cause people to migrate their hope to be in what they have as opposed to in the living God. For he says, not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Yeah, 
if we ever need reminders of it, just in the 20th century alone, the 1929, how many people who were wealthy within a day lost everything they had? The Great Depression brought such hopelessness to so many because why? So many had built their, their lives upon financial wealth as opposed to building their lives upon the, the things of God. He said, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God. Now notice this, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. In other words, God doesn't have any problem with we having things. He just doesn't want things to have us. Well, how do you know if things have us? By your freedom and willingness to give them away whenever God puts it on your heart to do so. You see, when when something possesses us, we have absolute difficulty letting it go. But when we're totally free, when we totally do not trust in things or possessions or wealth, we can give it away freely because freely we have received, freely we can give. He said that God richly provides. I love that. God richly, not just stingily, not just get by, but God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is a good God. God blesses us. God doesn't want us to be poor. God doesn't want us to be uh, without. God wants us to be blessed, but he wants us to know what the more is for. He wants us to know that when he blesses us, we in truth can be a blessing. He says, command them to be to them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. See, to be rich towards God means that when we have all that we need, that we can take the we can take the extra that we have and help meet the needs of others. We can be generous and willing to share because that's how we are rich toward God. Is it in this way? They lay up treasure for themselves. See, Jesus taught us that we can lay up treasures in heaven. And how do we do so? When we're generous, when we're willing to share what we have. In this way, we lay up treasure for ourselves and a firm foundation for the coming age so that we may not, so that we may take hold of life that is truly life. There's nothing more exciting. When we truly learn to live a generous lifestyle, the Bible here teaches us we, we experience life that's truly life because we begin to live like God. See, God so loved that he gave. And when we are motivated to be like God, God is a rich giver. It says it right here, God richly provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. And God uses us as the means and method that he blesses others You see, God wants to build his kingdom through us. God wants to work in our lives. He wants to work through our lives. And that's living a life that is truly life. We generally have far more than we admit we have. Most of us have way extra in our closets, in our basements. We have so much stuff. We are richer in this present culture, in this present era than in any era ever in human history. In fact, the United States of America is the wealthiest nation on the face of of this planet, and it's the wealthiest nation that has ever existed. And that's why we have to understand as Christians that we're to honor God with all of our wealth. 
We are to honor God and be rich toward God. When we have our needs met, we should know what the more is for. We should seek and consult with God what God might have us to do. Because if God is the one who richly provides for us, God's not holding out on us. God wants to bless us. And when God can trust us, when we're faithful with God, he said, he who is ruler over little and is faithful, he will make him ruler over much. And that's why it's important. And that's what I want to encourage us to truly be kingdom builders, to live life that's really life, that we should be rich in good deeds, that we should be generous on every occasion, that we should be ones who build God's kingdom because God seeks to work through us. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is within us. And that's why it's important that because when God is truly king in our heart, then money will never be a competition with God. We know that God is good. We know that God blesses. We know that God is the one that richly blesses us. And when we give, Jesus said it will be given unto us. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And so I leave you with this thought. Can God be trusted? Because the only antidote to keep our heart from the, 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 the danger of greed and the deceitfulness of money is to live a generous lifestyle, to realize that God is more than willing to meet our needs. And when we have more, that we should seek God what the more is for and to live a life that's truly life. Because when we're rich in good deeds, when we're generous on all occasions, when we help meet the needs of others, those are things that we never, ever regret. Have you ever made a purchase that you regretted? You ever made a foolish use of money that you said, oh man, I wish I had that to do again. But I'll tell you one thing you'll never regret. When you let God use you to meet the needs of others, when you, use, when you let God use you to make a kingdom impact, what we do lasts not only for the time that we're here, and there's nothing that's more rewarding when you see another person blessed because God was, has worked through you, that God has prospered you, that God has blessed you, and you can in truth be a blessing. Not only is it a reward in this life, but it's a reward in the world to come, in the life that we will lead for eternity. And so that's my encouragement to us, that we would begin to understand this that truly we would each be committed to be kingdom builders. Well, thanks for tuning in today. Till next time, this is Pastor Ken signing off. <laughs>